0: Uh, the scripture reading for this morning comes out of Exodus 18. That's on page 70 in the Black Pew Bible. I'm gonna be reading verses 1 through 27. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law. Heard of all that God had done for Moses, and for Israel, his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law that all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who had delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because of the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes in the law, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all the people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to all the voices of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs, of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Turn
1: your Bibles there if, you, if you've if you closed them back to Exodus 18. Sammy read our teaching text this morning. That's where we'll be. I got an email from... Pastor Nicu, they res, they arrived back in Romania through their home, had a good uh, trip back, and um, it was a joy for him to be with us. And he, again, extends his gratitude to the church for all that we've done for them. And he had a sweet, sweet time here with us. Let's review where we are in Exodus 18, kind of get our bearings, and we'll do that, uh, kind of understand the context By reviewing the promises God gave to Abraham. You remember Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham and and, and gave a a promise to him, several promises to Abraham. Uh, God promised Abraham that he would become a great nation. And we've seen that, haven't we, in, in the Exodus as the Israelites 400 years were in Egypt and there was a population explosion of the Israelites while they were there. And this, that led to their enslavement by Pharaoh. God also promised a land for his people. Do you remember? He promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, that promised land, the land of Canaan. And after the rescue of God's people from the hand of Pharaoh, the Israelites are headed where? Where are they headed right now? Toward the promised land, right? They're headed towards that land. And, and there's different outlines. Um, we've got uh, maybe a, a, an outline for you and this is a geographical outline. I think it's really helpful. Outlines are great for us. They help us uh, understand the scriptures. We've seen chapter 1 through 12, the Israelites are in Egypt. And then chapter 12 through 18, they're on the, the, the road, right, headed towards Sinai. And, of course, 19 through 40 is their own Sinai. Turn it down a little bit. I don't have any shades on. That's a little bright for me. There you go. Thank you so much. Um, so we're, we're at the end of the second uh, outline their road trip to Sinai. They're, they're headed towards the promised land, and they're almost to Sinai. They're actually, they're going to get to Mount Sinai today in our text in, in Exodus 18. But another promise given to Abraham was that those uh, who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse God's people will be cursed. And we saw that last week. Uh, Morgan taught us from uh, Exodus 17. We had a group of people called the Amalekites. And they were cursing God's people. They were coming against him in war. And what did God do? God defeated them and gave the Israelites victory. And so we see that promise coming to fruition. And one last promise God gave Abraham is that through him, through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we'll see that promise partially realized in our text today as we see Jethro, a pagan priest, come to faith in God. Now the Hebrew nation has drawn near to the mountain of God, and which is called Horeb is also ca- called Sinai. So just think about that. Mount Sinai is where the Ten Commandments be given. We're going to get to that next week, but that's where they're um, that's where they are. Do you remember the last time Moses was at Horeb? Any of you recall? Way back in chapter two, what was he doing? In way back in chapter two, he was taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. He was a shepherd and he drew near to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, also called Mount Sinai. And what did God do there for Moses? Do you remember? Yeah, he spoke to Moses through the burning bush and told him to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So the last time we see Moses, he's a shepherd. He's shepherding Jethro's sheep, and now he's back at Horeb once again, but he's not shepherding sheep, he's shepherding God's people. In fact, he tells Moses that they'll know that, that I've sent you, speaking of the people of Israel, chapter 2, verse 12, when when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You see that in, in, in chapter 3, verse uh, 12. He says, I'll be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. You'll, When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So here he is once again. That came to fruition, and he is back at the mountain of God, shepherding God's people. And at some point in time, Zippor and his two boys, they had left Egypt and went to uh, Jethro's house to stay with Jethro. We're not sure exactly when that took place. We knew it took place, and word had gotten out that Moses is bringing the Israelites, and they're drawing near to Jethro's place. So what did Jethro do? He took his daughter and his two grandsons. They went out to meet Moses. And it's interesting, these names of these two boys. He had such an incredible experience there in in Egypt that he named his two boys uh, from that experience. Gershom, which means a sojourner, stranger. We know that the, the Israelites were strangers in Egypt. They didn't mix with the people. Remember, they lived in Goshen. They were set apart, not only in how they worshiped, but in how they lived. And then also this other son, Eliezer, uh, God was my help. And and the Lord was Moses' help, wasn't he? And he was the the helper of the Hebrews. They were sojourners, but they received help from the Lord. And God had been faithful to Moses and the nation of Israel. So Moses goes out to meet Jethro and greets him warmly, respectfully. This is his father-in-law. He gives him a kiss. It's a typical greeting that day, very humbly. Uh, After some small talk in verse 7, Moses uh, gets down to business and he tells Jethro all that had happened while they were in Egypt and also along the journey there to Mount Horeb. And the first thing we see, three points from our text uh, this morning. Uh, The first one is just we see the proclamation of Moses here in the first eight verses. Moses looking for an opportunity to, to share what God had done. He took advantage of that. He was excited to tell Jethro. And Jethro had heard. He had, he had, he had caught wind of uh, what God had done, all the miracles, all the judgments, all the provisions. But here Moses gives a firsthand account to Jethro. And should we not all look for opportunities to proclaim all that God has done for us? I mean, what do you think Moses proclaimed there? He's, number one, he proclaimed uh, how God had delivered him through the ten plagues. He shared that with Jethro. Secondly, how God had provided since they had left Egypt. They had crossed through the Red Sea. and Miraculously, God delivered them. And then he provided water twice, quail, and manna. So Moses is excited about sharing what the Lord had done. And thirdly, he shared how God had given them victory over their Amalekites, as we looked at last week. So Moses, looking back, remembering all that God had done for them, and he even named his boys after these events. And and I, it kind of reminded me of Luke chapter 2. You remember Mary? All that the Lord had done. The Lord had, had told Mary, the mother of Jesus, that she would have a child. And Luke, has the physician, has interviewed her. And he records in Luke chapter 2 verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And we see Moses, he's pondering all the things that the Lord had done for them. Look at what all that the Lord had done. And he's proclaiming that to his father-in-law, Jethro. It made me think of also the demoniac in Luke chapter 8. Remember, the demoniac, he lived among the tombs, and he couldn't even be bound by chains. But the Lord had delivered that that demoniac, and that demoniac had begged. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, him being Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, and what did he do? Proclaimed throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done him, And that's, what, that's the, the attitude, the approach of Moses. He comes to Jethro and what's he doing? He's just telling all that God's done. Tell him all that the Lord has done. How good God had been to each and every one of them. What God had done for Moses and the nation of Israel was worth proclaiming. He had rescued them, provided for them, gave them victory. And I think about our own lives. What has God done for us, is it not worth proclaiming? I mean, for those of us who are born again, who are given the Spirit of God, given eternal life, is it not worth proclaiming what God has done for us? He's redeemed us from death and sin and given us new life. Our shame and guilt, not only is our shame and guilt taken away, but so much so that we can approach this holy, heavenly Father, this Creator God, this omnipotent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. We can approach Him, not just approach Him sheepishly. No, we approach Him boldly because of what God has done for us. Is that not worth proclaiming? Moses proclaimed to Jethro what God had done and what was the result. This is our second point. We see this faith response or this response of Jethro, verses 9 through 12. And we said that uh, we're reviewing what God had done for the nation of Israel through the promise of Abraham. And and God, the last promise, had promised through Abraham all the nations of the world will be blessed. All the nations, meaning all the pagan nations, all the Gentile nations will be blessed. So we see God's saving work in the Exodus. What's the desired result? as God redeemed and rescued the Israelites from from Egypt, what was the desired result? Not just that the Egyptians would know that Yahweh is God, not just that the Israelites would know that Yahweh is God. No, their desired result, the end result, is that the nations would know that Yahweh alone is God. And we see Jethro's confession here. In verse 9 through 12, it's much more important to the narrative than just the testimony of one person, but it serves as a specific fulfillment of the Lord's primary goal of the Exodus, that other nations would come to know His supremacy and worship Him as Lord. Chapter 9, verse 16, the book of Exodus, God said to Pharaoh that He was bringing His people out of Egypt so that I might show you My power and that My name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Jethro was a a pagan priest of Midian. And no doubt, you think about Moses, that he spent years, decades with Jethro when he first married Zipporah, began his family there in the desert. You can just imagine the, the countless conversations they had about Yahweh, the one true God, the Hebrew God, the God that the Hebrews worshipped. But he was a a pagan priest who worshipped idols. And verse 11 tells us that he finally concluded after Moses' testimony that Yahweh was greater than all gods. I think that points to the fact that he was a, a pagan worshiper, a, guy, a, a, a a an idol worshiper. But notice his response after Moses proclaims what God has done. What is his response? There in verse 9, several responses. And think about your your. Uh, experience we're doing evangelism training on wednesday night we want to equip our people to share the gospel we as believers we should share the gospel Uh, you know how often should we share the gospel we should be looking to share the gospel all the time none of us do that like we should some of us when we do it we don't do it as we should right but that's that's what we should do as as christians we should share the gospel we should tell of all that god has done for us and think about your experience. Some of you have experiences recently as you share with lost people. Maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a neighbor. What has been your experience? I would I would I would venture to say that most of our experiences, the result that, that the response that Jethro gives is a lot better than the response you've been given recently as you share the gospel. And it's true. As we read the Scriptures, most people don't embrace the gospel. Most people are traveling down the wide road that leads to destruction. Many enter that road. Many enter that wide gate and are on that, that broad road that leads to destruction. But think about that small gate and that narrow road that leads to eternal life. That's the road that us believers are on, Savannah. And that road there, very few are on it. Very few. And that's our experience, right? We share the gospel with ten different people. How many people respond positively to the gospel? Not the majority most of the time. But what about Jethro? His, His response is probably better than one you've received lately after you share the gospel. Look at verse 9. What did he do? He rejoiced. He rejoiced. In verse 10, he praised the Lord. He blessed the Lord. Bless the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. He blesses the Lord. He praises the Lord. And look at verse 11. He acknowledges that Yahweh is greater than all gods. Yeah, this this God called Yahweh is indeed the God of all gods. The most powerful one. And look at verse 12. What did he do? This is an Old Testament appropriate response to the Lord. He offered up sacrifices to the Lord. That's what they would do in the Old Testament. To those who trusted and, and loved the Lord. They would offer up sacrifices to Him. How many, of you, how many of the folks you shared with responded that positively lately? Probably not very Many. But here Jethro, and some say, well, we don't know sure if he's placing his faith in God or not, but he definitely acknowledges that the Lord is is God. I say, yeah, but his response is a lot better than the ones I've been getting lately. It appears this pagan priest is bowing the knee to God. What do you think? I think it's very much likely. That's what's taking place here. And thirdly, we see, we get into verse 13 through 27, we see the wise counsel of Jethro. Here's a man who bowed the knee to Yahweh, paying homage to him, blessing him, praising him, offering up sacrifices to him. And then what does he do? He offers up some really good counsel to Moses. Now Moses is sitting for the people from day, from can to can, from daylight to dark. And what's he doing? He's doing what the prophet of God is supposed to be doing. He's taking care of the people, and he's he's trying to mediate between all of these issues. Got some conflict going on. Some legal affairs that need to be sorted out. Some conflicts that need to be mediated. And so that's what Moses is doing. And as Jethro sees him doing that, he says, it's interesting, in verse 17, he says, what you're doing is not very good. You can just imagine Moses, he's, he's can to can't doing all he can do to keep up with all these issues and, and shepherd the people. And were, he's a prophet of God. But Jethro sees this as a, a, not a good thing. He's not handling that as he should, and so he gives him some counsel, doesn't he? He proposes a, a new form of, of government or a judicial system, a way of deciding these legal cases, and he, he suggests that Moses kind of serve as the chief justice, deal with all the hard cases, right? But there's also a plan for, to, to provide pastoral care for the people. And he says, find capable men to help you out, to handle this workload. And notice the type of men that Moses should appoint. Look at verse 21. You don't just get anybody, but get able men from all the people. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. So not only to have the ability to make good judgment, but they'd have the, the morality to cause these this system to be above reproach, right? And so that's what Moses did. Look at verse 23. It says, if you do this, God will direct you, you'll be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. In other words, it's just a better way of doing things. going to wear yourself out. You can't handle all this. You need some help. Look at verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any smaller matter they decided themselves. Then Moses left his father-in-law let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. I see two types of application here. Um, we have to keep in mind this is the old covenant. Moses is a prophet. Um, this is the the nation of Israel. Uh, we don't we can't make direct application. Sometimes sometimes people try to do that. I don't think that's wise. I think we kind of broadly look here. What is What is the application here? I see, first of all, the need for shared ministry, replication in leadership. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 4. Read that for you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. says, and he gave, this is Paul writing to the Ephesians, He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I see the need here for us to equip our people to serve in a way that edifies the body. We all have different giftings, right? Romans chapter 12. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. In Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, right? According to the grace God has uh, given us. So we need to do shared ministry where each one has a part to play in the care of the church. This is broadly speaking, I I think, application-wise. The first thing is a broad application. And we see that in in the New Testament. Acts chapter 6. The apostles were teaching the Word of God and there were some uh, widows who weren't being taken care of, and instead of taking care of all those uh, servant hands-on things, they want to be able to to, to to handle the word and teach the word. And so, what do they do? They chose deacons to serve the church. We said that in Acts chapter six. We, as a church, we we also have deacons: Chris Wilkes, Bo Gross, Mike Hartfield, Ronald Kidd There are active deacons. We have several that are inactive. There are active deacons. And we're thankful for these men. We need something. We call them. They come and take care of physical needs of the church. Never failed to ask them. They come running. Whatever needs to be done, they take care of these physical needs. And we have so many others that are stepping up and doing that. More and more and more are doing those things. So I think for us as a church, we have to continue to, to do that, develop and equip and empower the church as a whole to do ministry, empowering, equipping, teaching, how to how to serve. I said that when I first came to, to Beaver, one of the things I first said, I said, my job as a pastor, primary responsibility is to equip the saints to do the work. It's not to do the work. Yeah, I do the work, but there's so much to be done. I mean, think about all the people in our church, how many people are affiliated with our church and the needs that need to be met. No, no one person could do that. That's not wise. Jethro is telling Moses, equip the people to do the work. And that's what we all do. We all have work to do. We all are gifted. We all have work to do. And I'm so thankful that more and more and more and more people are getting involved being servants. And I'll say this. We have some in our church that that um, that are growing in their ability to lead and what we do I see it as a biblical principle as is, is people are faithful well well, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 we have that this is a, a great um, uh, principle uh, Paul taught Timothy and what you have heard me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also that's something that we do at our church we we don't do this perfectly we don't but I think we're, we're on the way we're, we're trying to equip People to do the work, and this is how this works. You're asked to do something. It might be something small. You're asked to do something. If you're faithful, guess what? You'll get asked again. If you're not faithful, maybe you won't. I, 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 tell, I tell this story a lot. I was in uh, I was in seminary. I was at a church, a great church, Ninth and Old Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, a wonderful church. I learned so much there. And I led a small group. It was about forty small uh, small group. Uh, members there and most of them were divinity school students they all most of them went to seminary and some they were so sharp some of them they would read out of the greek new testament they wouldn't even bring their english they just bring that greek i said well, what we're we gonna do we read out of the old testament buddy you know you're in trouble um but they were really really sharp and some of them are hebrew professors and they big ceos at lifeway and and, and whatnot and god's using them in mighty ways but a lot of those cats would want to teach and they want to preach and here I was, kind of country bumpkin of the group, and I'm leading this group, and they're so many of those were so much sharper than me. But one of the things that they liked is they didn't want to serve, they just wanted to preach. And so we would go after church, we'd go to the nursing home. I say, Hey, you want to? They would say, Hey, when are you going to let me preach? I'd like to be able to teach on Sunday morning. You got to keep in mind, it's all single, so it's men and women. So them guys were, they were wanting to preach and show out, you know, because they're single, looking for some, you know, helpmate, right? But it's funny, I would never let them teach until they taught at the nursing home a few times. They're, oh, let me preach. i hey, buddy, I'd love for you to preach. Next week, you can preach at the nursing home. We go to the nursing home after church. You can preach there. Well, I'm kind of busy. Okay, no big, no big deal. When you're not busy, you let me know and I'll let you preach at the nursing home. Most of those cats never got to preach on Sunday morning in front of the, the beautiful ladies because they didn't want to serve. The guy that eventually led that small group after me, Dave Harry, Met him one week, first time he came to church. The next week, he's out parking cars about 30 minutes before church started. I saw that cat parking car. like, huh, that's a keeper right there. You know what? He got to lead that group. He got to preach and teach week in and week out. Why? Because he's a servant. He was faithful to little. God put him in charge of much. And I'm going to be honest with you. We're kind of blue-collar here at Beaver. And what I mean by that, that's not a bad thing. We kind of have that blue-collar work. Ethic. I know a lot of you aren't blue-collar. You're white-collar folks. But we kind of have a blue-collar work ethic. If you want to teach and preach and lead, you got to serve. And I can tell you, all our small group leaders—you want to be a small group leader here? All our small group leaders, you know what they are? They're servants. If I need something, we have work day. Rodney Moody going to be here. Blake is going to be here. Chris Wilts going to be here. These are Chris McWilliams. He going to be here. Yeah, they're faithful serving. So what happens? We put them in charge of much. Teach the Word, teach the Word, teach the Word. Yeah, we want to teach the Word. We've got to be able to serve first. Do the little things. Be faithful to little things. We'll put you in charge of much. And that's what I think we see here broadly, how we apply this text, this Jethro principle, right? Reproducing yourself. And I'm so thankful the Lord's raising up men, raising up men, raising up women in our church, that are being faithful and God's putting them in charge little by little of of more. Jethro principle. I think oftentimes churches are real clergy-centric. They kind of have this old school mentality. And this is the way it was when I grew up. If you had a spiritual question or you had a child that was asking questions about salvation, what'd you do? What'd you do? Take them to the preacher. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm never going to baptize somebody that I don't talk to, right? But sometimes you're like, "Hey, man, they're six. They're not going to ask some crazy questions you're not going to be able to understand or answer. Six-year-old typically, you're going to be able to answer their questions from the scriptures. But what are we doing? We we're, no, we're equipping our parents and our adults to to do that, do ministry, and you don't have to bring them to me. I'm just one guy, right? but I think what happens is churches are very clergy focused the pastor and there are some things that pastors do right yeah we, we're trained and God's given us grace to do lead and, and, and to do certain things right there are certain things that I'll do that I won't ask you to do but by and large we want to equip our our church members to do the work we got a great group of men that are stepping up it's 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 incredible. When I first came here, if I went out of town, I had to find somebody to, to come in to do the preaching and now I don't have to be here and we, can, we got three or four guys that can handle the word faithfully. I'm so thankful. And we have small group leaders our small groups are multiplying. Our small group leaders are multiplying and, and our small group leaders are reproducing themselves and training others to do that and I'm so thankful. Giving me an opportunity to serve, grow in skill, grow in their gifting, use their giftings, figure out what their giftings are. So thankful for that. Sometimes as clergy-centered churches, we stifle the growth of the church because people just come and sit and they leave and they're not doing anything. No, we as a church, we all serve. We all serve. We have a group of small, our small group leaders we meet every tuesday at five thirty in the morning you think well, why do you meet at five thirty in the morning because five thirty in the morning nobody's doing anything right try to meet on tuesday night and somebody's got a ball game or something's going on right nobody's doing anything at 5 30 in the morning these cats they get up and we meet every tuesday morning 5 30 to 7. now some of them are going to work right bo's going to work we call him on the way to work right and we'd have a conference call and we meet and talk about our people and our small groups and what's going on with each one and and, yeah, they're they willing to do that. They well, I don't know if I'd ever want to do that or not. Well, you'll never be a small group leader here. No big deal. It's part of the deal, right? Small price to pay to be able to lead and shepherd. I'm so thankful for these men. The Lord's raising them up, and they're doing a great job shepherding, under-shepherding, caring for our people. And we have to do that, right? Their church is growing, and we have new people coming to our church every week. How are we going to care for those people? We can't. One person can't do that. Two people can't do that, right? Yeah, the Lord's raising up men, faithful men, and we're growing and all growing in our ability to lead and shepherd and teach. And yeah, so I think broadly we think about the Jethro principle and equipping everybody in the church, equipping people to do ministry, but more specifically we're going to equip men, right, to lead and teach and, and shepherd their households and and shepherd their their flocks and their small groups. And we see that happening. I'm real excited about what the Lord's doing in our in our church and the men that are faithful and growing and learning how to divide the word and 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 teach the word and shepherd people. So, specifically, what do we do with this as a, as we close? I think we continue to grow. When you're asked to do something, if you want to be faithful, be faithful, you'll be put in charge of much. Well, I don't really want to stack chairs. I don't want to do do, do, da-da-da-da. Well, that's just part of being a servant. That's what we do, right? Morgan preached last week. You know, Morgan stacks a lot of chairs and moves a lot of tables. You know, and he sprays Roundup and picks peas and does all those things too, right? Yes, it's what we do. As servants of the Lord. So, we're going to continue to equip our church. We're going to continue to equip men to to lead and to teach. I think also, like Moses, we need to look to share the good news of what God has done for us, right? Application point. Let's be interruptible, looking for opportunities to share. I think about Moses. Him looking forward, anticipating, recalling what God has done for him. And today, leading into the Lord's Supper, we get to look back, recall what God has done, and we're going to celebrate what God has done for us believers as we take the Lord's Supper.